Psalm chapter number 24. We've been talking about righteousness. We started a new series last week. So I wanted to start off this morning just by giving you a quick recap of this new series. You know, what we discussed, what we chatted about before was the fact that God has ordained a, a plan for every one of our lives. When God created you, He created you with a plan. God uh, set some things out for you. The Bible says good works that, that were created and laid out for you beforehand for you to walk in. And when God reaches into our lives, what He does is He reaches into our lives so that He can uh, fulfill these things and lead us into these things and have us walk in all of these good things. And so we spoke about this blueprint that God has for our lives. And, and, and I was thinking about it and praying about it and saying, well, what goes after that? I mean, what, what comes next? Once you get to the core reason for why you're alive today and, and, and the core reason for, for why God has created you and called you and ordained you and set you apart and is moving you into all the things, uh, what is that next thing that we need to know um, lest it holds us back? Because what I noticed is, is that a lot of people get held back uh, in their lives from, from doing the things that God has called them to do. And, uh, and I realized it's when we have a misunderstanding of righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be right with God? And we spoke about how for most people, even if you open up the dictionary and read what does the word righteous, even though nobody really opens up dictionaries anymore, do we? I mean, we, don't, we just Google it, right? Righteous, define. And what, what, comes up, what comes up is it says it's moral rightness. Moral rightness is, is what we find. And, uh, and that is how the world and how oftentimes Christians define righteousness. And what we looked at last week is that this is actually not how the Bible defines righteousness. This is not how the Bible speaks about us as people who, uh, who are able to stand in a relationship with Him. It's not moral uprightness. It's not making the right decision as opposed to the wrong decision. Righteousness, what we said Jesus spoke about, actually is an issue of the heart more than an issue of what your actions are on the outside. And when your heart is right, your living will right. It will be right. But if we are just doing right things on the outside, but carry the wrong heart on the inside, even though our actions may appear righteous, we're not righteous. And so our motives would be wrong. And what Jesus does when he comes into our lives is he doesn't want to just make us or force us or cause us to do righteous things. He actually wants to transform our lives from the inside out and make us righteous. So the Bible speaks about how righteousness is a gift of God. It's imputed. It's given to us. We are made to be the righteousness of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And last week we spoke about how we pretend to be righteous by focusing on the things that we do well. So if you are somebody that doesn't struggle with a drug addiction, then you go, well, I don't take drugs, so I'm a good person. This is how we convince ourselves that we're righteous in our own strength. Or if, if you don't get drunk on a Saturday night, but you know that some of your friends do, then you're like, well, I, I don't get drunk, so I am a righteous person because I don't do that. But we focus on our strengths, and in doing that, we ignore the thousand other things that we know we do that are sinful. We're dishonest and we, we convince ourselves that we, we're righteous in our own strength. And this is why God said, 
basically, I use this analogy when, I'm, when, I'm with my, when I was with my son last week and we were looking for something. And I thought it might be under the couch. And, I, and he said, uh, he wants to lift the couch. And I said, boy, you cannot lift this couch. It's too heavy. Let me lift it. You look. And he was like, no, I will lift it and you will look. And I said, you can't lift this couch. It's too heavy. Let me lift it and you look. And he said, no, he wants to do it. So I said, I said what basically God said when he gave the law. Okay, okay, do it. See if you can do it. And he got on his knees and he tried to lift it with all of his strength. He moved around. He tried every angle. He tried everything that he could do, but nothing that no matter how he tried, he couldn't lift it. And so eventually he kind of sighed and he had to admit defeat. And he was like, okay, fine, you lift it. And that's exactly what God did when he gave the law. We were so convinced as people that we are good enough. We're good enough. You ask people, how do you, how do you get into heaven? Just be a good person. Okay, but how good? What's the standard there? No, just good enough. Okay, so this is basically like us saying to God, I can lift the couch, I can lift the couch. And God then goes, okay, try. Try be good. Perfectly good. Try walk in perfect love. Try walk in perfect righteousness. Try to never be selfish, never to be self-centered, never to hurt those around you, never to, never to make idols of anything in your life, never to be dishonest in any area. And we find that even with our warped sense of morality, we can't even hold to our own standards, right? Come on, how many times have we broken our own standards? I'm never going to do that again. And then you do it again. Even people who don't know God, who don't know the law and they're a law unto themselves, they, they can't even fulfill their own standards that they set for themselves. That's, that's what New Year's resolutions are all about, right? Nobody can fulfill those things. And so God goes, okay, if you think that you can be righteous in your own strength, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the law. Here is the law. If this is my minimum standard of holiness and righteousness, see if you can lift that couch. And you know what we did for years and years and years and we still do? We try every angle. Every bit of strength. I'm just going to, no, this time I'm going to do it. This week I'm going to do it. From this Monday, I'm going to live righteously. I'm going to change my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the gym. I'm going to become strong enough. I'm going to do everything that I can to lift it. And the truth is what the law reveals is that we are sinful, that we are weak, and that we are not strong enough. So last week, and I'm just recapping for those of you that weren't here last week, we see Jesus get up. In Matthew 5, he gets up onto a mountain and he begins to quote the law. And he says, you have heard that it has been said. And he mentions something like, for example, he'll say, do not commit adultery. That's a law. Don't commit the, the act of adultery. And then he says, but I say, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He says, you've heard that it has been said, don't murder, like don't physically kill somebody. But I say that if you're angry with your brother, if you're carrying around resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness, then you have already caused or committed murder in your heart. And so Jesus says the righteousness that he wants to bring us is a righteousness that's far deeper than what we can get from just doing things right. He says this, he says, unless, in, in Matthew, Matthew 5.20, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees did all the rules. They, they followed all the rules. But unless your righteousness exceeds that, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. 
In other words, Jesus said, I have come. And, and I could imagine the people sitting there listen to, listening to Jesus that have struggled for years just to keep the law. And now Jesus goes, that's not even good enough. We need to talk about what's going on in your heart. And, and I said this last week, I, if I was sitting there, I would have gotten up and I would have been like, oh, come on, Jesus. Come on, who's going to be saved? Who can, who can do this? Who can have the right heart and, and, and not lust in their hearts or not be angry in their hearts or, or not have selfish or evil desires? Who can actually be saved? But we know those words of Jesus when the disciples looked at him and said, so who can, who can be saved? Who will be saved? And Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross is that he gave us his righteousness, his righteousness. And so right throughout scripture, there's this parallel drawn between you trying to be righteous in your own strength by following rules and laws and, and, and principles and all those things, and knowing that you are righteous and believing in your righteousness, that comes from Christ. The law and grace, works and salvation, something that you have to earn and a free gift. The Old Testament that was there to prove, when we looked at that scripture last week, that was there to prove our sinfulness and reveal it and the gospel which saves us. You see, we've got to recognize that we need a savior. If you don't know that you're a sinner, you won't know that you need a savior. And so this morning, I want to uh, share a message entitled Ascend, just as part two of this series, uh, Ascend. And I want to go to Psalm chapter number 24. If you have your Bibles, uh, with you, you can go to Psalm chapter number 24, and I'm just going to read through from verses 3 to 5, because it's often when we read these kinds of scriptures that, that people begin to feel inadequate, and again, that's what the law will do. It makes you feel inadequate so that you know that you need a Savior, but you need to know that chapter, we said knowing that you're inadequate is only chapter 1 of the story. Knowing what Jesus has done for you, putting your faith in it, knowing how that changes you, knowing how that moves you into your calling, that's the rest of the book. And we've got to make sure that we understand that. So, so Psalm 24 verse 3 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So not only clean actions on the outside, but, but a pure heart on the inside who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who doesn't give himself away to things that are not true, and does not swear deceitfully, doesn't pledge allegiance to, to things that, that are not true. He will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. When we read these kinds of scriptures, I know that I have in the past, I go, well, if I want to ascend the hill of the Lord, I need to make sure that I have clean hands and a pure heart. I need to make sure that I'm, I'm living this perfect life. And for a long time, my relationship with God was a constant struggle. And at times, I, I felt like I had fallen into complete despair because I never knew if my hands were quite clean enough or my heart was quite pure enough to stand in the presence of God. 
I remember when my wife and I were on honeymoon, uh, we, had, we were in our early 20s, we got married, we jumped in the car, we had a just married sign on the back, you, you do that because you hope people will pay for your meals and give you free things along the way, uh, it's a good plan, you can go for that. Um, and, uh, and, and so we went uh, for one week down to the coast, and one week we spent in uh, the Drakensberg Mountains. And we were in the mountains, but we, we, we weren't re- we're not really like major mountain climbing kind of people. Like if it's there, we'll, we'll try. Um, but we thought, hey, let's go out and let's just take a walk in the mountains. And we knew of this one drive that you can go up right to uh, Sentinel Peak where you can drive up high up into the mountains. And from there, you can, you're already so high that you can just climb those last little bits. And we had no idea what we needed. We didn't even take water. I mean, we just had normal clothing on, just like a t-shirt and some shorts and some walking shoes was like the most equipped that we were. And we drive, drove over there, drove all the way up into this mountain. And, and you know what it's like if you've ever gone up there. It can be sunny down at the bottom, but you get up at the top there and the temperatures can change within seconds. Everything can go wrong um, within a matter of minutes when you're up there on the top of the mountain. And so we're looking for the guy that we can pay. And we notice it is a little bit windy up here. It is, you know, it's a little bit breezy and it looks a little bit uh, intense. But we think to ourselves, no, we're just going to walk along this ridge here. And there's the, you know, the whole peak and we can maybe climb it. We heard there's a chain ladder. We can climb up there and, and just, you know, be on the mountain. Isn't that what people do? And, um, and so we, we're trying to pay. And this guy is kind of, the guy taking our money looks he looks fearful for us, right? He's kind of like, are you sure? Like, uh, maybe, you know, and, and we're like, just give us the tickets. And, and as we're busy paying, there's this group of German tourists who are, you know, when they've got North Face clothing, they've got walking sticks, they've got beanies, they've got like proper hiking uh, shoes. And, and uh, you know, just these, you can see these guys climb a lot. They've probably flown out from Germany just to come and climb these mountains. And they make it back. And when they get through the gate, they're like high-fiving each other. We made it. We made it. We didn't die. Jeez, that was intense. And you could see the relief that they actually made it back home and that they didn't die. And I could see when they were walking on that edge how this wind was howling. It was, it was, uh, it was almost blowing them off the side of the mountain there. And they got back and they were so happy they survived. And, and I was kind of like, you know what? Well, maybe we'll try again tomorrow. It's fine. It's, it's getting a little bit late. I think we should head home um, and, uh, and get home. And so uh, <laughs> there was a, a very rational fear that we, that we experienced seeing the conditions and knowing that we were out of our depth, knowing that we were unprepared, knowing that we didn't have the right equipment, knowing that we didn't have what we needed in order to climb and ascend this mountain. We turned around and we went home. And often when I read Psalm 24, 3 to 5, I felt the same way before reading that as I felt when I went that day to go and climb that mountain on my honeymoon. Here's, here's this incredible mountain. It's beautiful. It's, it's grand. It's majestic. I'd love to climb it, but I don't have what it takes. I am unprepared. I am not skilled enough. I'm not, I don't have what I need to climb up. And oftentimes when you think that's, that's just a little peak in the Drakensberg mountain range, but when we stand before the presence of God 
And we think, can I walk into his throne room? Can I walk into his presence? Can I stand face to face with God? Can I serve him? Can I know him? Do I even belong in a church? Should I even be here? A lot of people aren't here this morning because they read scriptures like Psalm 24 and they go, I am unprepared. I'm seeing those guys hardly made it and they've been Christians all of their lives. They're equipped. They have everything that they need and they are just so happy that they made it. How can I ever go into the presence of God? People feel like, like I felt on that mountain that day, I, I don't belong here. I've got shorts and a t-shirt and I should go home. And when, we, when we're faced with the magnitude of God's holiness and, and power and, and majesty and, and His holy standard, when we're faced with the law, we often feel that inadequacy. And it makes people turn away from God. They feel their unworthiness and and. and, and a lack of righteousness. Many times in Scripture, God's presence or God's throne is depicted as a mountain or the pinnacle of a mountain, this idea of being elevated, of being holy, of being above, of being the authority of, of the grandeur of God. And so even when, when we find in Isaiah this prophecy of what Satan said when he rebelled against God, he said, I will ascend. I will ascend my throne to the same height as God who sits on the mountain of the congregation of the north. This idea of the rebelliousness of Satan to say, I will lift myself up to be at the same height as God. The same level of, as God. We know that Moses went up to meet with God on the mountain. We know that when Jesus fasted, he often went up into the mountains, and especially after his baptism, he was up in the mountains fasting. We know that the transfiguration where, where Jesus and Moses and Elijah were revealed to the disciples, to those three disciples, it also happened on a mountain. And so Psalm 24 asks this question, who could possibly stand in the presence of God? Who is equipped enough or good enough or strong enough or righteous enough to stand there? And we know that that's a desirable place to be. It tells us in that scripture that those who stand there will receive blessing and righteousness. So we want to be there. We want to be in God's presence. We want to be good enough to, to commune with God. But who could possibly stand in his presence? I found this contrast in the, in the Bible, this, this, this line uh, that connects the law and what God has done. And, and, and it moves through from Exodus, and we see it being spoken about in Hebrews. And that's what I want to show you for a few moments today. Because in Exodus 19 and 20, God has basically brought Israel out of Egypt. They're now in the wilderness, and the first stop that they have in the wilderness is to go to this mountain that God calls them to, Mount Sinai. And on this mountain, God calls Moses to come up and receive the law. He's going to teach Israel about his holy standard. This is how God, this was the first step in his plan of redemption. And so he tells, he tells Moses to tell the people to prepare themselves. He tells them that they, they shouldn't touch the mountain, that they, shouldn't, that they shouldn't come near. They need to prepare themselves and get ready. And then in, in Exodus 19, verse 16 to 18, I want to read you these, these verses of just this, this fearful holiness. It's a little bit of the, uh, um, probably a lot more than the fear that I felt in the Drakensberg that day. But just some idea 
of how fearful just the, the righteousness and the holiness of God is. Exodus 19 verse 16 says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. We sometimes especially uh, as young believers, begin to see God as um, kind of a cheerleader in our lives, kind of a, a genie that just helps us have a, a, a great life. And we can, we can wrong-size God often. We can misunderstand the, 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 the fury and the, and, the, and the incredible power of God and, and, and the very reason why none of us would want to stand in judgment before God. The very reason why we want to, with all of our hearts, grab a hold of His grace. Because He's a righteous, powerful creator of heaven and earth. The Bible says that when, when Jesus returns, the mountains will melt like wax. They'll melt like wax. And here Israel gets a taste of God. They get a taste of, of the holy standard and the, and, the, and the fearfulness of God. And they see this mountain quaking and, and there's smoke as God descended on it uh, in fire. And then in Exodus 20 verse 18 to 19, it says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. That's the let's go home moment, right? That's the, wow, I thought I could climb here. I thought I could get, be in a relationship with this God. I thought I could know him. But now that I see the fire and the smoke and the wind and the, um, I'm just going to back up a little bit. I don't know if you've ever walked into a situation. Uh, maybe you've come home and, and, and your wife was a little bit emotional or, or, or something. And you just like, you back off slowly, right? You have a toddler that's throwing a tantrum. He's like, he's not mine. I don't, I don't know this child. Who's this child? And you just back away slowly. And that's what, that's what Israel did. They're just backing away slowly. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak, lest we die. Don't let God speak to us, we'll die. We won't be able to bear it. We won't be able to handle it. And so Moses, he goes up this mountain. And on this mountain at this time, he receives the law. He receives the law from God. God says, these are the laws that I want you to take to Israel. So that they can try and lift the couch by themselves. Let's see if they can do it. I'm preparing them for my salvation is ultimately what God was doing. But go ahead and give them the law and they can have a tangible sense of what judgment would be like if they aren't able to fulfill it. That is a fearful thing. And so they stand there and they go, Moses, you talk to God. We, we, just, we just can't even bear to talk to him. So this whole scene that we have here is the context of living under the law. Trying to be righteous in our own strength. Okay, here is the law, the standard that you're supposed to fulfill. It's filled with fire and smoke and trembling and, and, and fear. 
And our greatest fear is the understanding that we are unholy people who are trying to fulfill a holy law so that we can try and be right with God. So we come back to Psalm 24. How do you ascend the mountain? Clean hands, a pure heart. You don't worship idols. You never tell lies. And then you can receive blessing and right standing with God. But this makes it sound like we have to earn our blessings. Like we have to work hard for it. Like we have to make sure that we, that we get up there and, 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 and that we can try and do it. And I want to talk to you right now about what happens and what will happen in your life if you try to do that. If you're going to try and be righteous in your own strength and you're going to try and earn your blessings and you're going to be try and be good enough for God and you're going to try and make sure that you are as righteous as you can possibly be, what will it produce in your life? Because it produced something very real in the people of Israel standing at the foot of that mountain. Exodus 32, a couple of chapters later. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, Moses' brother, and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people, who took, all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is what will happen if you try to be righteous in your own ability and strength. Ultimately, what's going to happen is the fear and the condemnation and the shame that will come over your life every time you fail will make you turn to other gods. It'll make you back away from God. You won't have confidence before God. You won't want to pray. You won't want to worship. You won't want to come to church. And you would rather find other things in your life that you can fashion with your own hands and say, this is my God. This is what I worship. You'd rather start worshiping your career or your abilities, your skills, your achievements, or what you, what you can do, how much money you can make, what, what you can achieve in your life. You will fashion idols out of your own hands because in the deepest part of your soul, you will not feel good enough to have a relationship with God. Does that make sense this morning? You see, in the shadow of the law, people rebel. If you're going to try and live righteously according to your own strength, it will lead you into rebellion. And this is honestly why so many people rebel against God. Because when they look at Him, all they see is rules. People think that Christianity is about rules. I remember preaching a sermon once called, Don't Follow Rules, Follow Jesus. People think that it's about doing things right. Well, I don't want to go to church. And I've had people say this to me because I know that when I go to church, I have to start following the rules. I have to start doing that and stop doing that. And, and I don't know if I want to do that, so I'm not going to go. It's the same thing. It's the same mountain. I know God's holy. I know I'm not. So I'm just going to back away slowly and I'm just going to live my own life the way that I want to live it. It produces rebellion. 
Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this happens. You never want to do something until somebody tells you you mustn't do it, and then you want to do it, right? I mean, we've even tried this. It's not great parenting, but we've tried this with our boy. We would be like, uh, you know, clean your room. And he'd be like, I, I don't want to. Then we're like, okay, no, don't clean your room. Please, whatever you do, don't clean your room. And he starts cleaning the room <laughs> because we told him specifically he shouldn't. And that is the heart of man. I remember going to go uh, visit somebody driving into a complex and I never thought about hooting. And there was a big sign that said, do not hoot. And all I wanted to do then after having read that sign was hoot. That's the law. If I tell you don't do something, it produces, it, it causes sin to rise up in your heart and say, okay, I'll do it. That's how the law works. It actually fuels rebellion. Romans 7 verse 8 tells us this. This is actually in the Bible. It says, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, by the law, produced in me all manner of evil desire. When I try to serve God according to the law, according to rules, according to just being a good person, it produced evil desire within me. And that wasn't the last time on that, that morning standing at the foot of that mountain that Israel rebelled against God. For centuries they fell away from Him. And the law proved once and for all, through all of that rebellion and all of that falling away to the point where the whole of Israel was, was taken into captivity and, and, and was, it was spread across the earth. It showed that nobody is righteous. Like we looked at last week. That the law has proven. Remember we said how, how, how Paul says that the law uh, and, and, and what we know about God in creation and, and the fact that people can't even follow their own laws or the law of God. Basically, this is what's happened is that uh, that God has, through the law, said to everybody, okay, shush. No, but God, we're good, we're good people, we're good people. Okay, here's the law. The, the, the law, and the law basically puts the hand on the boasting mouth, shuts it. There's no one righteous. If you think you're good, shush. If you've tried to follow the law, you'll know you, you're not. And so the law has declared everyone guilty before God. Everybody's guilty before God. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the point. No one has clean hands or a pure heart. Not a single one of us in our own strength has clean hands and a pure heart. As much as we may do some things well, some of the time, none of us does all things right all of the time. We have dirty hands. We have impure hearts. We're selfish. We're sinners. And so there's no human on the planet who hasn't worshipped idols or told lies. So, so who can ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in His presence? Ultimately, no one. There was no hope for humanity until one day. And that's why as a church and in our preaching and in everything that we share, we declare that we are all about Jesus. Because one day, a person called Jesus came along, the Son of God, that God sent into this world because of His great love for us. And you know what He did? He took a cross, a wooden cross. And you know what He had? He had clean hands and a pure heart. The only one 
who has ever in the history of all of mankind had clean hands and a pure heart and who could ascend the hill of the Lord. He took a cross and he ascended a hill called Golgotha outside Jerusalem. And he went up onto the top of that hill and there they nailed him to that cross and put him up in front of everybody for everybody to see. Jesus is the only one who ascended the hill of the Lord because he's the only one who's ever had clean hands and a pure heart. He's the only one who never worshiped idols or told lies. And he's the only one who was ever blessed or righteous. And even though people were in that moment, even though he was dying for those that, 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 were, that were sinners that had rebelled against him, he was dying for God-haters. He looked at them as they were spitting on him and mocking him and throwing stones at him and, and beating him. And he forgave them. He declared them free from sin. He sacrificed himself and took the sins of the whole world and died on that hill for us. I skip a couple Psalms forward to Psalm 121 verse 1. David, realizing his inadequacy, his unworthiness, he says this. He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? I lift my eyes up. I've looked within me. I don't find the solution. I don't find the righteousness. I don't find the ability. But now I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, God provided. And you know how sure God was that he was going to do this? If you skip right back, and we're not going to go to the scripture right now, but if you skip right back to the beginning of Genesis, what does God tell Abraham, the father of faith, to do? To take his son, his only son, whom he has waited for roughly a hundred years. He loves the son with all of his heart, Isaac. And God says to Abraham, take your son, Isaac, put some wood on his back, and walk up this hill that I will show you in the region of Moriah, which is the same region where Jesus ascended a hill. In fact, it's the same hill. And, and Isaac, carrying wood on his back, walks up a mountain, and there's an altar. God tells Abraham, build an altar and sacrifice your son. And Abraham, in obedience to God, the Bible says, Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac again, even if he killed him. That's how much faith he had. He's about to sacrifice his son. And in that moment, God stops Abraham and says, no, don't. I will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. That was a prophetic image of what God would do through his son. God was already saying to Abraham, do you think that your sacrifices are going to be sufficient? They won't be. It doesn't matter what you sacrifice, you cannot ascend that hill without Jesus and what he did for us. And we fast forward thousands of years later, that same hill, the son of God with some wood on his back walks up a hill and God provides a ram and he dies there for our sins. God provides. So I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. 
Jesus removed our sin from us. And what he did when he removed our sin from us is that he removed our, uh, the necessity. He, let me put it this way. He delivered us from having to fulfill the law in order to be righteous. He delivered us from having to fulfill it in order to be righteous. What he has done is, through his sacrifice, he has made us righteous, and therefore, we can now fulfill it. But we don't need to fulfill it in order to be made righteous. Does that make sense this morning? Romans 3.21 says, But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all and on all who believed. There is now a righteousness that we receive that is apart from the law. In other words, you can be right with God this morning. And I really hope that this is not, I really hope that this is something that, that is not just something that we're hearing theoretically or theologically. I, I, I didn't want to come and deliver a theological lecture this morning. I, I want you to know this in your heart because it applies to you. You are not right with God because you do right things. You can only do things that are right because you're right with God. And how do you become right with God? Through grace. It's a free gift. He did it for you. That's how we become righteous. So now there's a righteousness that we have that's apart from the law. So we come to Hebrews and this was actually the text that I read originally when this whole message, and I, I read this, and then I went back to Exodus, and I started jumping around in Psalms, and I started doing a bunch of things. But when I read this scripture, I love the fact that it contrasts the two mountains, Mount Sinai versus Calvary, Golgotha. It says, for you have not come to the mountain that may not be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded and if so much as a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow this was the command surrounding uh, this uh, fearful day when the law was given and so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Even Moses is like, I'm out. Tap out, guys. This is, this is intense. Scripture says, when we come to Jesus, we do not come to that mountain. As clear as day, in that scripture right there, Hebrews 12 says, you have not come to the mountain that burnt with fire. We don't come to God through the law. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, listen to this, the mediator of a new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You see, when, when, when Cain killed his brother Abel, I did this because I assumed it was with a rock, right? 
when Cain killed Abel, the Bible says, God said to Cain, where is your brother? And we know the famous answer, am I my brother's keeper? Is it my job to look after him? And God said to Abel, but his, his blood cries out to me from the ground for vengeance, for judgment, for what has been done wrong to be put right. There was a testimony against us. We were found guilty according to the law. And the blood that we had shed cried out against us. But the Bible says when we come to Jesus, we come to a new covenant, a new way, a new life. And the blood that cries out now is the blood of Jesus. And instead of condemning, it cries out they are free. They are forgiven. They are justified. They are made right. They are the righteousness of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus' blood cries out over our sins. And it declares us as righteous. We've come to a better covenant, a better mountain. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer standing in front of that fiery mountain. But we've come to Mount Zion, to a new and a living way, to a mediator of a better covenant. Remember that when this fire of the Mount Sinai was burning and and shaking and earthquakes, people backed away. They felt fearful. They, they felt like they wanted to rebel against God. They, they made idols right in the shadow of that mountain. I mean, you talk about playing with fire. You've just seen God physically appear on a mountain, and it's scary as heck, and so you make yourself a little calf to worship. <laughs> Produces rebellion. What does it produce when we look at Jesus and His sacrifice and the righteousness that comes from Him? I want to look at this scripture Matthew 27, verse 54. This is while Jesus is on the cross. It says, When the centurion and, centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. So here, again, when Jesus dies, the earthquakes. And they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. The very people who just nailed Jesus to that cross, when they hear how he forgives and how he loves and how, uh, and how God has offered up the sacrifice, when they see that, instead of running away, they declare, surely this is God. Truly this is God. The Bible says that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repent. It's the grace of God that turns our rebellious hearts into hearts that are receptive to knowing Him. And if we're running away from God, if we're rebelling against God, oftentimes it's because we haven't seen His grace. We don't understand His love. That He took all of that judgment upon Himself because of His great love for us. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off. What did they do when the law was given? They stood back. They stood afar off. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near. 
by the blood of Christ. For through him, we have access to the Father. You've come to a new mountain. And now, through the blood of Jesus, instead of having to stand far away from God going, I'm not good enough, I don't quite fit in here, I'm not really a church guy, I'm not really a person who does this kind of stuff, I'm, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, this is not really my scene, this is not really my vibe, I don't really know, I don't pray, I don't, can I pray? I mean, do, don't you have to do a course or go study theology or stuff before you can really pray or know God or get near God? And this scripture says that all of, everybody who has that thought, once you, you were far off, at one point, because you were looking to yourself and your own righteousness. But now, through the blood of Jesus, what God has done is He's put His arms around you and He's brought you near. You don't need to earn closeness to God anymore. You can simply go and move into His presence. You have access to the Father. If we don't know this, that because Jesus has made us righteous, we have access to the Father, we will forever struggle in our relationship with God. We'll struggle to pray. We'll struggle to communicate. We'll struggle to believe. We'll struggle to trust. God doesn't want you to look at your sin any longer. He wants you to look at Jesus. He wants you to look at the blood. He wants you to look at yourself in the mirror and go, I am the righteousness of God. Not that I, this is not a, pri a prideful thing. It's not like you earned it. It's a gift. It's a humbling thing. When you go, I don't deserve it, but because of what Jesus did, I can receive my righteousness and I am the righteousness of God by faith in Christ Jesus. You have a crisis, you're praying before you even decided to pray because you understand there is nothing separating you from access to the Father anymore. There is nothing keeping you from being with the Father. Hebrews 10, 19 says, therefore, having boldness, everybody say boldness, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It couldn't say it more clearly. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He took away our sin. Not only the sin on our hands, but the sin in our hearts. So let's, with boldness, move into the presence of God. We come here on a Sunday, we worship together, boldness. We're not timid. We're not afraid. We're not worried. We have clean hands and a pure heart. When we need something from God, the Bible says we boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need because we're not worried about ourselves. Am I good enough to ask this? Have I lived a good enough week? Oh, I didn't even read my Bible this week and now I'm gonna ask God to help me with this. Oh, I don't know if I, no. I'm righteous through Christ. Father, I need help. Boldness through understanding the sacrifice of Jesus, what he has done to give us clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus has cleaned my hands. He has purified my heart. And in him, I have access to God to boldly ap approach his throne 
The Bible says in, in Romans, it goes on a little bit in Romans 8, and it says, we haven't received a spirit of bondage leading to slavery again. It's not a slavery thing. It's not about, oh, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and got to do this. But we have received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. What that means is, is that this is not, we haven't come to a God who's like a taskmaster, who's like, please follow these rules. We've come to a God who goes, my son, my daughter, I've adopted you. I love you. And we receive intimacy with him. Abba Father is like saying daddy. It's a closeness. That's the spirit that we are of. Church, we're not of that mountain that burnt with fire. We are of that mountain where Jesus died. A new and a living way. A new covenant with a better mediator with better promises. The difference between being afraid of God and the fear of the Lord is the gospel. If you're living under the law, you're just afraid of God and you'll hide at any cost. But when you know the gospel, you know the love, you know the, the greatness of what God has done for you, you're no longer afraid, but you receive the fear of the Lord, which is a gratitude. It's an awe. It, it, it's a reverence for what God has done. It's an understanding of of how lost we were without him and how he has fulfilled everything on our behalf and given us a new life. It's a, it's a deep understanding of the gracious love of the Father. We have not come to that mountain, but we have ascended this mountain through Christ. And through Jesus, we ascend the mountain of the Lord. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Hey, we're already there. We're standing right up at the top. In fact, we're throwing a little party at the top of that mountain. And it's through the grace of God. We receive blessings. Those that will stand in the presence of God, they will receive blessings and righteousness. We receive blessings, not because we earn them, but because Jesus has made us his, the, the children of God. Through him, we receive blessings. And we are made righteous by his blood so that we can take part of a new covenant. And that's why it speaks there in that, in, that, in that last scripture, it says, that last line of that verse, it says, such people may seek God and worship in His presence. Such people. We had no right being anywhere near God, none of us, ever. For all of eternity, we couldn't even come close. It's an absolute faithless disobedient and ignorant statement to think that we can be righteous in our own strength. But it takes a heart full of faith to say, because of what Jesus has done, because I've been made the righteousness of God, because of what he did on the cross, I can seek and worship the Father. And I can do it liberally, in freedom, without condemnation and shame. So who are you thinking about when you worship on a Sunday morning? Are you thinking about yourself and how inadequate you are? Or are you turning your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and understanding how He is completely sufficient and the justifier of all those who believe in Him? That's the righteousness that we have. That's why we stand in the presence of God. That's why we have a relationship with God. That's why we're righteous.